0: I'm Mike, one of the pastors here, and um, it's good. To, we were here last week, but it's actually good to be back uh, here. Um, so, uh, just here with you guys and and speaking as well. And so we're in our rethink series. We've been in it all year. We've been going through First Corinthians all year, and it's been it's been a really good year. We're in chapter thirteen. The book has 16 chapters, so we're almost done. We'll finish it at the end of this year, actually. So we'll stretch out the last three chapters of the next, is it three months? Yeah, pretty much. Um, and we'll finish it throughout this year and then go into something new next year. But First Corinthians has been really great for our church. Paul is is speaking to a church that's young, that's trying to figure things out. There's a prophetic edge to uh, to a lot of what Paul says. And we've been hearing from that. We've been learning from that. And today, we're talking about love. And this passage that, that Dave just read, and you read it really beautifully. And this is a really poetic passage. And yeah, we... Uh, yeah, yeah, Dave. <laughs> no, you know, <laughs> uh, It was just... Uh, you have a lot of, when you read it, you had a lot of Paul's tone in there. And, and uh, this is one of, Mel and I were talking about this passage earlier, and she was saying, out of, out of all, my, you know, all my friends outside the church that, that aren't followers of Jesus, this is the passage they know. And unfortunately, that's true. Fortunately, that's good. Unfortunately, it's, in, it's always interpreted wrongly, not just outside the church, but inside the church as well. So, hopefully, this morning we're going, to do what Paul was, we're going to do what Paul was trying to do when he wrote this, this letter to the Corinthians. So, we're going to rethink love, and he's going to reshape that in us today. So, if I said to you, I love Missy, Missy's my wife, if I said I love Missy, most of you would be like, okay. I have some understanding of of what that means. It's okay, I think he means this when he says that. If I said to you, I love bratwurst, which I do, Uh, we were just in Germany a week ago, and I was like, I think I should have been born here. Like, this is the greatest country in the world. (laughs) Oh, yeah. There's just sausage for every meal, like breakfast, snack, lunch, second breakfast, Levensie's dinner. Um, there was the Lord of the Rings references, by the way. Um, so if I said I love bratwurst, you'd be like, okay, I, I think I understand what he means, but it's different from what he means when he says, I love Missy. If I said I love puppies, which, who doesn't love puppies, right? If I said I love puppies, that would be maybe even another category, and, and you're trying to interpret that. If I said I love you, you might not know how to take that. You'd say, well, which category is that? Is, is he, does he mean as friends? Does he mean the same way he loves his wife? Does he mean the same way he loves bratwursts? Like, are we brothers and sisters in Christ? You know, is there romantic love? Like, what, what does he mean when he says, I, I love you? Um, so we have all these categories that we've created for love that our culture, our world has created. They're not all bad, I just want us to see that we have these categories. And when we say love in different ones, they mean different things. Unfortunately, a lot of the categories we've created are not informed by the scriptures. They're informed by, they're informed by something else. Our culture, our world, uh, the house you grew up in, that, that's, that's how you see love, you know, how your parents loved you or how your siblings loved you or how people loved you at school or, or whatever it is. Uh, and, and you begin to create these own categories in your life. What Paul is trying to do is help us rethink this. And in culture, one of the ways that, uh, that we understand love, there's a bunch of different cultural ways we do, but one of the ways is through music. Like, we just sang a bunch of music, and you can see Jamie up there, and he's, he's leading, and he's like, we, he chose these songs, he prayed over these songs, and we're singing these songs because they teach us something about, all those taught us something about God's love this morning. But for us in this world, we, um, we have a lot of music that talks about love. And um, if you think about it, our songs today, and I'm just talking about songs in general in the world, secular music, our songs today are informed by decades of culture developing and now they're reflecting that culture. And so I'm going to throw some songs up here and that talk about love and I'm going to help us see where we are as a culture in love based on these songs. Now, a lot of these songs are older songs like 80s. Okay, 90s like 2000s, um, but it's going to show us how they, how they developed our understanding of, of love. So you may or may not know some of these. It's going to date me a little bit because these are all the songs that I grew up on. And so let's, let's start with the first one. What is love? <laughs> Say it. Like, everybody knows what comes after that. Baby, don't hurt me, don't hurt me no more. It's by a group named Hattaway. They're gone. They had one hit, and I don't know where they are, most bands in the 80s. But just look at that. That informs what we think about love in relationships. Their whole song is about being hurt by love. Okay, next one. I Can Love You Like That, John Michael Montgomery. This is a country song. I'm from the States, so country music is everywhere. I don't know, is country music up here? I've never, is there a country station in Toronto? Oh, there is. Okay. I don't listen to the radio, so I don't, I don't know. Um, so there is. So this is how the song starts out. They read, they read you, I was I almost saying it. <laughs> they read you, Cinderella. You hoped it would come true. Okay, that one day your Prince Charming would come rescue you. So we're teaching our, our and, and that's true, actually. That's how we teach our girls today. Disney, Princess, Prince Charming, you're going to be complete by this person, you'll never forget the way when, like it's been happening since Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet all this time you've been waiting you don't have to wait no more i love how there's this horrible grammar in songs you don't have to wait no more okay next one uh, love story here takes takes romeo theme taylor swift right um, I, don't, I don't remember the, how the tune goes here but actually i do i do <laughs> um, and i said romeo take me somewhere we can be alone i'll be okay uh, it's a love story, baby, just say yes. So, like, you see what's, what's happening here with, with love, and, and now, now we've entered into a love story, and we have to have that. And if you have a love story, you're complete. Okay, keep on going. Uh, love is a Battlefield by Pat Benatar. You guys may not know this song, but you will know the title. Love is a, it, just love is a battlefield. Like, that tells you all you need to know about uh, her understanding of love at this point in her life. And it starts out, we are young, heartache to heartache. Should love be like that? Should love just be a series of heartaches? We are strong. Okay, now we're independent. No one can tell us we're wrong. Love is a battlefield. We have to go fight for it. All right, next one. <laughs> love hurts. <laughs> love scars, love wounds, love marks. So that's Nazareth. You guys know that song, right? Love Hurts. Okay. It's probably the worst song, the worst singing voice in a song ever. Look it up on YouTube. It's horrible. The guy's got a... Anyways. Um, Love Hurts, Love Scars, Love Wounds, Love Marks. All Out of Love by Air Supply. It becomes a transient, ephemeral thing. And then I'm so lost without you. Why I, don't, I can't understand love without you. Actually, my whole life is over because you're not in it. You see what's happening here with our culture. Love is based around these relationships, and then if you don't have it, you're just lost and you're in darkness. Okay. Let's go to the next one. Let's see what's love got to do with it. Got to do with it. <laughs> right? You were thinking that already. Secondhand emotion. Now we're like, we don't even need it. Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? We're just like, we don't even need love. We've gone from love is everything to us to now. Who needs it? It's, it's gone. Okay, next one. Uh, I would do anything for love by, by meatloaf. That would be the best stage name ever. Um, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. So it's pretty selfish, right? It's a selfish form of love. I would do anything, uh, not, not that. Love Shack, it becomes physical. Love Shack is a horribly written song. If you ever look at the lyrics, it's so catchy and poppy, right, but it's horribly written. Hugging in a kiss and kissing 11, and, and it's, it's horribly sung too by the guy. Dancing and lovin', we're next to nothing, now it becomes this physical thing, going to the next thing, we take this, the next song, we take the physical aspect into it. Yep, go to the next song. Um, it must have been love, but it's over now. It must have been good, but I lost it somehow. Love is something to have. Roxette, I actually loved that song growing up. You guys know that song? Okay, okay, okay. I won't sing it. Next, next one. <laughs> Can You Feel the Love Tonight? By oh, you put Sir Elton John. I actually just had Elton John, but yeah, we don't want to slight him. He is a knight. Can You Feel the Love Tonight? It's where we are. Curtis also does a great rendition of this song. <laughs> Curtis knows all the words. And actually, if you look at the lyrics of this song, it's like an incoherent mess of... It's weird. It's... <laughs> something like that. Um, I mean, just look at that. Can you feel the love tonight? How it's laid to rest. What does that mean? It's enough to make kings of vag- vagabonds believe very best, <laughs> vagabonds. All right, next one. Um, and that was from The Lion King, right? And The Lion King. When I watched that as a kid, I was like, "This is incredibly sexual." This scene where where they're together, and they start playing that song. I was uncomfortable by that at like eight years old. Not eight. How old was I? When did it come out? Mid nineties. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was in middle school. <laughs> yeah, I should've been watching that. <laughs> That's why I thought it was sexual. Okay. <laughs> Truly, madly, deeply, I'll be your dream. Listen. Everyone loves this song, right? I'll be your I'll be your wish, I'll be your fantasy, I'll be your hope, I'll be your love, be the thing that you need. It's it's so self-centered, and uh, and and you see here now you have a reason for living and a deeper meaning. Yeah. So, it's just we see how our culture and and how we start to our culture starts to shape how we view love. I think there is there one more. There's a all right, last one, addicted to love. And if anybody gets it right, this guy, Robert Palmer, gets it right, uh, might as well face it, you're addicted to love. And he's like, you think you're immune to the stuff, but you're not. You're actually addicted to it. And that's where we are as a culture. Like, that song was probably in the 80s, I think. And, but we're still there as a culture. We're addicted to this idea of love. We're addicted to it. Problem is, we're addicted to the wrong idea of love. Okay, not not the right idea of love. And the bottom line of today's message is this, that love without limits creates response with renewal. And if you look at all those songs, love had a limit. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Uh, love hurts, heartache to heartache. There, there's a limit to love there. When Paul talks about love here, it's limitless. And we'll, we'll talk about what that means. But then it also creates and brings renewal. It shouldn't bring hurt. You know, when Dave was reading that passage, it doesn't say love hurts and love breaks your heart. It says love is patient and love is kind. So he's giving us a new concept of love. So. Let's, let's go into this passage. This passage is in the context of a couple things here. Um, it's, in the pa- it's in the context of the unity of the church and, and that the church is supposed to be a unified body of Christ that is working together for the common good, for, for the betterment of um, not just itself but society uh, around it. But then also it's in the context of spiritual gifts. That spiritual gifts, um, God has given every follower of Jesus, every believer, spiritual gifts or a set of spiritual gifts. And everybody has, different, uh, has a different set. And, and he, we talked about all this last week and the week before. And now he says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way to use these gifts. What was happening in the church there is they were abusing these gifts. They were using them wrongly. They're using them for themselves. They're using them to promote themselves. They were saying, well, I have this gift, so I'm better than you. And this gift is is better than your gift and and all these things. And they started having dissension. And Paul says, no, 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 no. There's a more excellent way to use spiritual gifts. There's a more excellent way to live. And he starts off um, in talking about love in this way in verse 1. And he hones in on one gift to start out with. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men, so he's talking about tongues, the, the gift of tongues, and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisier gong or clanging cymbal. So basically, he's saying, if I, I I can have this gift to its fullest extent, I can speak in all these tongues of men, and, all the, and even tongues of angels. We don't even know if those exist, but Paul puts it in there, and he's like, even tongues of angels, if I can speak in that. If I don't have love, then it's just. It's just a cacophony. It's, it's noise, it's obnoxious, it's not beneficial. It doesn't help anybody. And I always, whenever I read that verse, I always think of two things. I think of, I think of one, the little toy monkey that has the symbols and just goes and is, is annoying. Um, I've actually never seen one of those in real life. I just remember it from Aladdin. <laughs> <laughs> back, it all goes back to Disney. Uh, I remember it in, in Aladdin when Abu gets turned into it. Anyways, so he's, it's just annoying. Um, and another thing I think of is in my home, my childhood home growing up, we had a gong. I don't know why. <laughs> we had a gong. I'm half Asian, I'm half Thai, but it's not from Thailand. I think it's from Indonesia when we, when we lived there. So we had this gong by our front door in our house, and what do you think everybody who comes in our house wants to do? They want to hit the gong. And if you hit the gong once, it has this beautiful, uh, resonating sound that just goes out. It's like ripples in the water, right? And it goes out throughout the entire home. But growing up, when my friends came over, all they wanted to do was play drums on it, Like, and, and when you hit it once and then hit it quickly again, it's like it if you picture the waves going out and then waves coming back and crashing against it, that's what it sounds like. It's just, it's just horrible sounding. So I always think of that too. And Paul is saying, if you don't have love, but you're speaking in these tongues, it doesn't matter. It, it sounds horrible. And then in verse two, he says, and he uses like the apex of three gifts here. He says, if I have prophetic powers like a superhero. <laughs> that's, that's really cool, prophetic powers. Uh, and, if, and if I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, so he's talking about the gift uh, of knowledge here, words of knowledge, and if I have all faith, so the gift of faith here, so as to remove mountains, that sound familiar to you guys? Jesus uses that proverbial saying in the book of, uh, in the Gospels. So in one of those four Gospels, he uses it, uh, and, and he says, so if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. He doesn't say the gift is nothing. He says, I am nothing. You are nothing if you use the gift without love. And just a note on love here, there's, there's four different words for love in the Greek. Now, Somewhere along the line, we made a whole bunch of needless distinctions between these four kinds of love, but there are distinctions. That's why there's different words. So sometimes we overdo it. We're going to try not to overdo the distinctions this morning, but Paul uses a certain type of love here. So there's four types. One, uh, the Greek word is eros. Eros. If you think about where we would get wor- what words we would get from that, um, you probably come up with erotic, eroticism, uh, all those. So that's that's where we get a lot of our words. Or the, the Greek root eros. This is a a type of love that is appetitive, that is that is um, focused on cravings and filling your appetite, and a lot of times it has a negative connotation, or we attach a negative connotation to it. The word itself actually is, is pretty uh, morally neutral. It doesn't have a connotation one way or the other, but when, but when you think, when we take Eros type love and we're just, fu- f- we're just filling ourselves, it becomes selfish pretty quickly. So that's why there's a, there's a um, negative connotation attached to it. So that's, that's one of those. And that is actually what consumes most of our culture. Eros' love is actually what consumes you, mostly, if you think about him. Eros' love is what was in all of those songs. The second word is uh, storge, which is used for familial relationships. So, like, I would say why I storge my brother, like I storge my sister, like it's it's used for family. Uh, The third one is philos, like Philadelphia, Uh, brotherly love. Um, It's used for friendship. It's used for, for, like, just, yeah, love and friendship. And then the the fourth one is divine love. It's agape. And this is love that is, you can almost pit eros and agape against each other. Like, if, if eros is about filling me, agape is about filling others. Agape is about me giving. It's about God giving to us, it's about God pursuing us, it's about it's about um, not worry. It's, it's not focused on myself, it's actually focused on the interests of the other. It's unselfish, okay, and it never ends. We'll get to that in a second. So those are the four types of love. What Paul uses here, the word throughout this passage is not eros, it's not storge, it's not philos, it's agape. So when he says you don't have love, He's talking about this unselfish, always giving out type of love. And he says, if you don't have that, you are nothing. If you're using these gifts, and and here's the thing, remember, the Corinthians were saying, well, I have this gift, so I'm better than you. And he's saying, no, 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 gift aside, you're nothing without the love of Jesus, and then he says in verse 3, and it's, he's kind of building his argument here. So verse 3 at the beginning there, could, you can add an even to it in the translation, actually. So you could say, even if I give away all that I have, and what's implied there is I give away all that I have to the poor. This should remind us of another account of Jesus with the rich, uh, with the rich man who he says to give everything to the poor, and the guy goes away, sad. And and so he says, even if I did that, and even if I do something very sacrificial, deliver up my body to be burned, but I I didn't do it out of this agape love, I gain nothing. If I like I could I could have been I could have done this act, but I could have done it for my own well-being, my own eros type craving. Um, And but he says, you gain nothing by doing it that way. So what is agape love? This is actually a fairly new concept, or this is a brand new concept of the Corinthians. And I would say it's a new concept to us. It's a new concept to most of us in the church. It's a new concept to our culture. This word agape is very, very rarely used in any Greek literature any ancient Greek literature, it's very rarely used. There's only like eight instances of it, and they're destroyed texts, so we don't even know if it's even used. Um, The verb form of this word is used. It's used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which was written around 300 BCE, so it's, it's it's, it's in there. We see the verb form of the word, but Paul here actually not necessarily creates, but he conceptualizes and he begins to popularize and normalize the noun form of agape. And so it's brand new to the Corinthians, but it's, it's almost like brand new. And, and for us reading the scriptures, for you who, if you're not familiar with the scriptures, which is probably most of us, and we're coming in, like this is a kind of love that, that's described that you may have never seen anywhere in your life. And that's what's happening in this passage. And you may have seen bits and pieces of it, but Paul is saying love looks like this. And it's very poetic. Uh, that's why I love how Dave read it. Like, the, when, and this is why it's so often quoted because it's one of the most poetic passages in the scriptures. Paul does it in couplets He does it in a very poetic form. So he says here, love is patient and kind. And we're going to walk through this. I could spend so much time on each one of these, but we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on on what he means by by all these things. I'm just going to point a few things out as we move forward through this. He says, love is patient and kind. So uh, a good translation for patient would be long-suffering. That shows you that love has this sacrificial element to it, that it suffers long with somebody, that it's not quick to make a judgment, it's not quick to to jump to a conclusion. It suffers long with somebody, it's patient, and it's kind. That just means love is kind. (laughs) There's nothing special about it, although that's the only time in the New Testament that that word is used. That's the only time that that word is ever used in the Greek in the New Testament. So um, it means it's beneficial. Like I said, it doesn't hurt Love doesn't hurt, love doesn't scar, love doesn't wound. Love doesn't uh, do any of those things those songs were saying. Love doesn't, it's not heartache from heartache. Love is actually beneficent. It builds up. It's kind. And then here's something love isn't. Love does not envy. The word there uh, gives this idea of jealousy that is boiling over. So if you thinking about a pot that's boiling over, that's what this is. It's like a jealous love that's uh, boiling over. He says love is not like that. But a lot of those songs were like that. A lot of the love that you know is like that. It's actually a jealous, boiling-over type love. But he says love isn't like that. It, it doesn't envy, and it doesn't boast. This word here is, is for, it doesn't parade itself around. It doesn't walk around and say, look at me. It doesn't, it doesn't point itself out all the time. This is an outward kind of vocal boasting. Uh, and if you think about it, with boasting boasting doesn't necessarily mean the person has an internal arrogance. Actually, a lot of times boasting means that the person is internally insecure, right? In the church, actually, our form of boasting a lot of times in the church is is false humility. Someone gives you a compliment and you're like, oh, no, no, that's... You know, oh, thank, thank. You don't even say thank you. Like, it's like, oh, no, no, no. That's that's, yeah, whatever. Um, but in actuality, your it's just a false humility, and and it leads into the next thing, where he says love is an arrogant, and this is an internal I think I'm better than you, type thing. He says love doesn't think that. Love just gives, and it's not rude. Love doesn't elbow its way in. It doesn't bully. It doesn't push its way. and it doesn't force itself on you. Love doesn't force itself on somebody. Love says, here it is. Take it or leave it. Just like God does with us. He says, here's my love. I'm not going to force it on you. Take it or leave it. It's not rude. And it does not insist on its own way. I think most of us read that and say love does insist on its own way. Because that's actually how we live our lives. That's actually how we love. We love based on our own way. We love based on our own selfish desires. We love based on the Eros-type love, filling ourselves up. But he says love doesn't do that. It does not insist on its own way. Now, that speaks directly, or indirectly, or both, we're in a culture of self-love. Uh, and this, and our psychological heyday talks about self-love, self-love, self-love. And the Bible does talk about taking care of yourself. So it's not like you don't take care of yourself. I would say self, self-care is important. But we also, we've gone over the edge and said, well, you need to love yourself. And what that does is it takes, it takes away from agape love. That's just our society saying eros, eros, eros. Fill yourself, fill yourself. If you don't fill yourself, how are you going to fill somebody else? That's, and that sounds great, doesn't it? But that's not agape love. That's not the type of love that Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about, talking about self-love. He's talking about loving the other person. And when Jesus says, when, Jesus says, when we give, we'll actually receive. We're so focused on holding on to what we've received that we don't give, and then we get depleted. And then we go into what we think we needed to fill ourselves up. And he's saying, no, agape love doesn't insist on its own way. It gives, it pursues. It is not irritable or resentful. Uh, irritable, the, the word there has this connotation, this, it, it conjures this imagery of poking somebody with a sharp spike. Uh, so it's not... It's not easily provoked. And what Paul's doing here, guys, if you haven't noticed yet, he's not just giving us characteristics of love. He's not just giving us attributes of love and telling us what love is. He's telling us what love does. That love is actually doing something. Love is an action, that it it does something here. So it's not easily provoked, but it also doesn't provoke it's not easily frustrated, but love also doesn't frustrate. And for most of us, it does because we're still insisting on our own way. And it's not resentful. That can be translated as it doesn't hold a record of wrongs. It doesn't keep books on, the, on how you've wronged me. You know, we, our society talks a lot about or says, there's, says sometimes, oh, I can forgive, but I'm not going to forget. What if God forgave you but didn't forget what if god said oh i forgive you but i don't want a relationship with you oh i forgive you for breaching trust but i'm not going to trust you again god's type of love doesn't do that god's type of love says i forgive you and i forgot like that's it he says our sins are as far as from the east as from the west it doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And then verse seven, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And this is where the limitless thing comes in. Our, our culture reads this verse and they say, they substitute tolerate for one. They substitute tolerate in here and says that we need to tolerate all things. We need to, we need to believe all things. And that's not what Paul's saying. He's, just, he's not saying love believes everything. He's saying that love There's no limits onto what love can endure. There's no limits onto what love can believe. There's no limits onto what love can bear. Not that it just accepts all things blindly. And then he says, Love never ends, it never falls apart, it never collapses, it never um, falls to the ground. But spiritual gifts do. In verse 8, as for prophecies, they'll pass. Tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. So he speaks to knowledge and he speaks to prophecy here. And he says, we only do those things partly. But when the perfect comes, Jesus, the eschaton, the end, eternity, when the perfect comes, the partial will actually pass away. We won't need it anymore. We won't need prophecy anymore. We won't need words of knowledge anymore. He says they'll pass away, and then he deals with tongues in verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became mature, when I became a man, when I, when, you know, he's talking about this, this, he carries this idea of perfection in here, I gave up those ways. And verse 12, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Think about a mirror. What do you use a mirror for? Most of us use a mirror to get imperfections out of our face. <laughs> right? You're, you brush your teeth, you floss your teeth, you get stuff out of your teeth, you get an eyelash out of your eye, you, um, you, sh- you shave, you're doing your hair, you're putting makeup on, um, you're popping your zit. I don't know, we see imperfections and we're trying to get, get rid of them, right? He says here, we see now in a mirror dimly or a glass darkly, but when the perfect comes, we'll see face to face. We know now in part, but we will know fully. And his point is that when the perfect comes, you won't see your imperfections anymore. And here's the thing with love. Love is so difficult sometimes. Love, why we have heartache to heartache, all that stuff. The reason is because when we look in the mirror, sometimes all we see are our failures, our sin, our insecurities, and our imperfections. And Paul says, when you look in the mirror now, you only see in part. You're only looking into that glass darkly. But when the perfect comes, it won't be dark, it'll be light, it'll be bright, and you'll see the perfect. He says, and guess what? You will no longer see a mirror. You'll no longer see your reflection. You'll see face to face. You'll see Jesus. Face to face, you'll see perfection. And that'll be you. Our lives are in Jesus. He is our life, Paul says. And we'll no longer have to look in a mirror and see our imperfections. And for many of you guys, you guys are in despair. You guys are in a pit. You feel like you're in darkness. And God doesn't want you to be there. And you would say, I'm crying out. When we were singing earlier, um, I closed my eyes and I just got this image of an ear. Um... And I just want you to know this morning that God hears you. Now, wherever you are in that darkness, in that despair, in that depression, that God hears your voice, that his love is there for you. And you could say, I know, I, I know it is, and I've been trying to reach out to it, and I've been trying to get it, and I've been going after it, and maybe you're like, nothing's happening. And I just want to remind you again that God wants renewal for you. In your life, God wants renewal. And he has spoken that over our church this fall, that renewal is for us. And, and for you individually, that's what God wants. He doesn't want you in the pit. He wants you to be renewed by his love. And throughout the scriptures, we see renewal over and over and over And over again. Psalm 51 says, renew the steadfast spirit within me. Lamentations, the author says, God will renew our days. Ezekiel 36, God says, I put a new spirit and a new heart in you. Isaiah 40 and 41 says, God will renew your strength. God will renew your strength. Romans 12, Paul says, God renews our minds. Ephesians 4, God says he's renewing the inner person. Or actually, that's 2 Corinthians 4. Second Corinthians 5, he says we're new creations in Christ Jesus. Paul tells Timothy that God is going to reactivate the gift of God that is within him. God can do that for you. God is in the business of renewing, even to the point of renewing everything. The heavens and the earth, Isaiah 65 and Revelation 21. Like God is going to renew all these things, and we're a part of that, and he's renewing us daily. He's renewing the spirit of our minds, uh, Colossians says, and, and he's renewing uh, our strength. He's renewing everything in us. And Romans 8, let's walk through this passage real quick, and you guys, you guys can start going. I'm just going to walk through this real quick. This 39 verses. (laughs) But we're going to roll through it because this might be where you're at this morning. And you might be in that pit. You might be in that despair. But he says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you're in Jesus this morning, there's no condemnation for you. That's not your reality. He says, the law of the spirit of life has set you free. And if you're in that pit in despair, you might say, that's not my reality because you're still living by the law of sin and death. Keep on going. Actually, you just follow along. I'm going to use this here and just roll through it. And he says in verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Christ Jesus, in verse 11, was raised from the dead and he's going to give life to your mortal bodies. So then, in verse 12, brothers, we are not debtors, or we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, but we live according to the spirit and he wants you to live today. Do you know that God wants you to live today? Do you know that if you are not a follower of Jesus, you've been living a semblance of the reality that God wants for you? just a shadow, and he wants to give you the substance of it, and he wants to show you what you were truly made for, this life that he'd always planned for you. And he says because of that in verse 15, we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Do you have the spirit of slavery this morning? That's not of Jesus. If you're imprisoned by your sin, by your imperfections, by your insecurities, that's not of God, that's of something else. And he says, because of that, you fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, where you cry out to God. And we're heirs and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with them. And you might be in suffering right now. And that's okay, it's actually okay to be there. That's where we experience the love of Christ in such a powerful way. He says, for I can, because in verse 18, he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For all of creation waits for it, he says. All of creation is yearning for it, is longing for it, is, is asking for the glory of God to be revealed. And the hope of that glory is us. The hope of that love is the church. It's the bride of Christ. It's the household of God. It's us. The world is not going to see this love if it's not embodied in us. And if you're not living in that love, you're affecting every, everybody else around you. And God is saying, no, that's the spirit of slavery. You've been set free. You've been set free. He says the whole creation knows it. And the Spirit helps us in verse 26 in our weakness because he knows we're weak. And that's okay because in our weakness his power is made known. He says, remember, you've been predestined, you've been called, you've been justified, you've been glorified in verse 30, all past tense. He didn't say you will be glorified. He says you have been. That's your reality in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say you will be sanctified and made holy. You already have been in Christ Jesus. Live in it. Verse 31, he says, and I'm going to read this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all Things Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Nobody. That's the answer. It is God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Nobody. We know there's no, 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 therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For it is he who died. More than that, it was he who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from what? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? Verse 37, he says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Guys, believe that this morning. Now, whatever shackles are on you, whatever sin, whatever darkness, whatever despair that Jesus has overcome and he's conquered it and that in him you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus and that is your reality and you can say to that sin that that has those shackles and those bonds on you that no no to lusts no to gossip no to idols no to uh, whatever it is whatever your sin of choice is put it in that blank you can say no to it through the power of Jesus It has no power over you. And he says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Not just in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's Lord over all those things. God chooses to love you. Love is a choice. It's not a feeling. There's probably feelings associated with it, or there are. But God chooses to love you. God has chosen to pursue you. God has chosen to call you to himself. God has chosen to say, you are my son, you are my child, you are my daughter. God has chosen to do that. He didn't have to do that, but he chose to do it for you, and he's pursuing you this morning. So if you're a believer in here this morning, that's your reality. If you don't consider yourself a follower of Christ just yet, that can be your reality. You don't have to live in love like we we heard about earlier. You can live in this love that pursues and that gives and that is unselfish. That's the love that Jesus has shown us on the cross. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you that you loved us first and that's the only reason we know how to love. And thank you that you demonstrated that love through Jesus on the cross. This willing, sacrificial love Thank you. We love you, Jesus. That's why we, we're here. That's why I live. Thank you so much for your love. And I pray that we'd show it this morning to each other and to our city. Shape us by it. Renew our minds. And show us how to be your body. We ask you in your name, Jesus. Amen.